A few weeks ago, in the run-up to my kid going back to school, I started thinking about the new COVID shot. I knew it was coming out soon. I wanted to get my family all squared away. And then, of course, before the shot was available at our pediatrician's office, we got COVID. Earlier this week, I found myself sounding like a beleaguered mom telling the story to Jen Cates. On day five of school, we got an email. COVID in the classroom. Mm-hmm. My kid tested positive. Then I tested positive. I just, and I was like, oh my God, here we go again. Here we go again, yeah. Jen is a senior vice president at KFF. In her normal life, she directs the Global Health and HIV Policy Program. But for the past three years, she's been focused largely on COVID. Right now, that means monitoring the rollout of this latest updated COVID vaccine. It's been retooled to target the evolving virus. And significantly, it's the first COVID vaccine since the federal government stopped footing the bill. It's a new era for COVID-19 vaccines with the drug now being rolled out commercially. But several supply and insurance roadblocks are causing some confusion for people out there. On the COVID front, as Americans roll up their sleeves yet again to get the latest boosters, some are being asked to pay out of pocket even if they have insurance. Nidia Social media is erupting about this, too. Look at this. Trying to get my COVID booster this month, and my insurance won't cover it. So that's fun. And PSA, despite having an appointment, despite being in the right place at the right time, despite having insurance, I was not able to get my COVID booster today. So to help sort out... I wonder if you had to put an adjective on the process surrounding this new vaccine in fall of 2023, like what would it be? Uh, I would have said initially, so a few weeks ago, I was saying, warning, this is going to be bumpy. There's going to be bumps in the road. I felt like that was a certainty, but it's been more chaotic than I expected. So I guess chaotic, temporary chaos is what I would say. Temporary. Yeah, I, I do believe, and we can talk about it, that a lot of what we're what's happening right now is going to be temporary. So it will smooth out. But yes, temporary chaos. So today on the show, now that the government is largely out of the COVID shot business, will it be like any other routine vaccination? Or does adding insurance companies and pharmacies make an already contentious issue even stickier? I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Let's sort of set the stage a little bit. 
for like a really bad pun, take the temperature of how we're doing now. Where would you say kind of American public opinion is in regard to COVID right now? Is it just fatigue? Is it giving up? Is it fear? Is it somewhere in the middle of all of that stuff? I think where America is on this in public opinion, and this is what our polls show, including our latest, very divided, very divided, mostly along partisan lines. Uh, If you ask almost any COVID-related question as we do, do you intend to get vaccinated? Do you um, you think there's a a rise in cases or a problem? Do you change your behavior? People who are Democrat are much more likely to say yes, and Hmm. people who are Republican are much more likely to say no. So the division is real, and it's pretty strong. Uh, So that's one. Two, I do think there's fatigue writ large. You know, it was a very exhausting three years, and we're all trying to figure out what it means for our futures. And we do know from the last uh, uh, bivalent booster that came out you know, last year, uptake was pretty low. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. From the data that's available, something like less than one in five uh, people in the U.S. got the updated bivalent booster, which is not very high. And in fact, some of the highest risk groups that really uh, are it's most important for people 65 and over, less than half got the updated booster. So why is this happening compared to December 2020 when the first vaccine was authorized um, and everyone just could not wait to get vaccinated? Uh, Well, there are differences. People were dying at a much higher rate back then. And there was really no end in sight. And so vaccines were the thing that that really changed the equation. What do you think the, the change in circumstances and the change in public opinion can tell us about readiness slash willingness to get this latest shot? I think the change in public opinion makes it hard to predict. Now, there's a little bit of good news, potentially. Our new poll shows that when we ask people are you willing or interested in getting this new COVID vaccine? 47% say they are. That's a lot higher than than the share that got the booster. Does that mean it's going to translate into actual behavior? We don't know. It could take a while. And there's a huge divide. So 70% of Democrats say, yeah, I'm going to go get this vaccine. And only a quarter of Republicans say this. But a much higher share seems to be willing to go get vaccinated. Now, if they encounter challenges, which I'm sure we're going to talk about, that could dampen some enthusiasm for sure. That's exactly why I wanted to ask you that question, because this is the first vaccine rollout since the public health emergency ended. And the the first time that the federal government is not funding and distributing vaccines. So I would love it if you could explain to me how people who who want these shots are supposed to get them now. Right. So up until now, Basically, we we had probably the only time in the U.S. universal coverage, right, which we don't have, but we had universal coverage of COVID vaccines. The federal government purchased every single dose and provided it for free to anyone, regardless of their insurance status, their ability to pay, or really anything else. This has all changed. That's what commercialization is. And, and COVID vaccines are now entering into the private market, like most things in healthcare. Now, what's supposed to happen, and this is what, you know, there's a lot of rules and regulations and laws that govern what can and can't happen when vaccines that are recommended go into the private market. The bottom line is for most people who are privately insured or who have public insurance, COVID-19 vaccines should be free. You should not be paying anything for them. 
that's not exactly what's happening right now. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I feel like should is doing a lot of work in that sentence. Should is doing a lot of work, and it's sort of likened to uh, the challenges that people experience with their healthcare all the time, where they go to get a procedure, it's covered, and they still get a bill, or they go to have something done in network, and then one of the providers is not in network. We hear about these problems all the time. We've just haven't had to deal with them with COVID, and also. The insurers seem to, you know, they've known this was coming, but it does seem in several cases that they weren't either clear on the guidelines or just weren't adequately prepared to get this up and running right away. And if you are uninsured and want to get one of these vaccines, what do you do? Yes, I don't think prior to COVID, many people other than maybe those of us who work in public health knew that if you're an uninsured adult in the U.S., you don't have a guaranteed uh, access to free recommended vaccines, whether that's flu vaccine or anything else. That's the bad news. The good news is the federal government recognized this um, and knew that for COVID rollout in the commercial sector, that wouldn't work for the uninsured and has launched a program called the Bridge Access Program as a temporary sort of stopgap to provide free vaccines through a couple of different ways to the uninsured. Um, there's two ways that that's happening. One is the federal government is actually purchasing some vaccines still that will be just for the uninsured. And those will be provided to you know health centers and other sites that often are the, the sites that serve people who are uninsured. Um, in addition, and this is unique to COVID, the federal government has partnered with three pharmacy chains and is said to these pharmacy chains, you can get free vaccine from the manufacturers directly, and we will give you a fee, a per dose payment for administering that vaccine to any uninsured individual. And the idea there is that for the next few months, maybe up to a year, that program would be in place. So the uninsured who want to get vaccinated, hopefully could find a free vaccine that way. But of course, none of this is that simple in practice. Many people who have gone to get their shots say they turned up only to have an appointment canceled, or there was confusion over whether a pharmacy would take their insurance or they've been asked to pay out of pocket. I'm definitely hearing those things, a lot of those things. So there's, there's a number of, of snags in the process so far. One is on the insurance side. Um, what, what the law says is that co these co new updated COVID-19 vaccines were required to be covered for free the day that the FDA authorized or approved them. That was September 11th, 2023. Hmm. And the other requirement is your health plan can say, yes, we know we have to provide these for free, but only if you're in network. If you go out of network, we might be we might charge you co-pays. But the law says that's okay, except if you don't have the vaccine in your network, you still have to provide it for free if someone goes out of network. The hmm. idea being you people are entitled to these for free with their insurance. And if the plan doesn't have it, they have to still pay for it. That's how it's supposed to work. What has happened, and there's many anecdotes about this, people walk into their pharmacy and they say, we're not, we're not ready to take insurance yet. You know, we don't have that information to, to, to work with your insurer, or we're not part of the insurer's network. All kinds of things that, you know, shouldn't necessarily be problems at this point, but are. In fact, one of my colleagues who also works on insurance issues, in fact, that's her like full-time job, she went into a pharmacy and because they weren't in her plan's network, what they wouldn't give her the vaccine. And she said, well, my plan doesn't have any vaccine. And they said, uh, we'll call your plan. And the plan said, sorry, we won't authorize it. And they wouldn't even let her pay out of pocket. And this is someone who really knows this stuff. Yes. Yes. She knew what to cite. And they could not get their act together to figure this out. 
And in fact, it's a violation because the plan did not have the vaccine in stock, yet wouldn't authorize her to get it out of network. And the poor pharmacist who was trying to help had no way in their system to make this happen. So point is, it did not work the way it was supposed to. And that experience is being repeated by others around the country. And, you know, there's other points along the system that seem to have, have met snags, like pharmacists, initially, some of them were saying they their systems weren't ready, they didn't have the billing codes, or the insurers didn't have the billing codes. The billing codes have been available since mid-August. And my pharmacist, when I tried to get my appointment, and I went and just to check, you canceled my appointment, do you sure you don't have any supply? She said, we don't, we're getting so little but they're still having us schedule all these appointments. So people are getting are scheduling appointments, but then we're having to cancel them all. It's just not smooth yet. But like, it's September of 2023. We've been doing this dance for a while. Why was no one ready? Good question. I don't have the answer. There are differences. So the pharmacists, and it seems to be relatively smooth at pharmacies for the most part, they are used to this, right? They they did this for COVID. They carried the COVID-19 vaccine. They provided, you know, all across the country, they were a main channel for getting COVID-19 vaccines to the public. What's different now is the insurers were not in the picture before. And now they are. And that seems to have really shifted things. Um, you know, as we said earlier, it wasn't a surprise to them. They knew this was happening and they do this for other vaccines. But for whatever reason, it's really created um, a snag in the system that's affecting a lot of consumers. When we come back, is this just a little bump in the road or does it say something more fundamental about our healthcare system? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. There are so many players involved in American healthcare. Doctors and providers, of course, but also insurance companies and pharmacy chains and regulators and drug companies. A lot of cooks in the proverbial vaccine kitchen. Is it too simplistic to just say whose fault is this? It is too simplistic because it seems to be more systemic and, and a sort of more of a statement about our healthcare system and how mm. it's a little bit convoluted and, and complex. Uh, you know, so I've heard insurers say it's the pharmacists and I've heard pharmacists say it's the insurers. I can't say who who's really ultimately at fault, but it just is a complicated um, mishmash of challenges that are playing out, I think, in front of everybody when we usually, these are usually in the background. It's usually mm -hmm. an individual going to get their insulin who might have some trouble. Or, I mean, I remember a few years ago 
when pre-COVID, when I went to get my shingles vaccine, there was a supply issue and I had to wait because there was no supply, but nobody really paid attention to that. I think we're, we're very laser focused right now. Where do kids fit into all of this? Because at least as, as a parent of a, of a young child, a lot of big pharmacies will not vaccinate a young child. And, you know, some pediatricians offices like ours say like, well, we're just sitting here waiting. Yeah, kids is a, is a different question and I think presents some really unique challenges. So when the vaccine was authorized by the FDA, the updated vaccine, and the recommendations that were made by CDC are for six months and older. So that's, you know, basically everybody in the United States is able to get this vaccine. Uh, and for some groups, it's it's even more important. And um, you might have seen some of the data showing that there were, you know, relatively, and this is all relative, high hospitalization rates among young kids. So a lot of parents are very eager. And from everything we can tell, there's very little vaccine available. Why is that? Well, um, one issue as you already pointed out is pharmacists pre-COVID, and I know this also as a parent of a young kid, I was always frustrated. I couldn't get my kid his flu shot at most pharmacies because they said, nope, we only vaccinate you know, 12 and older or whatever age it was. And those ages are determined by state. And so I, you know, as a parent, you know, you're busy, you don't maybe can't make an appointment at your pediatricians and you think, why can't I just go to the corner like I do for my shot? During COVID, because of the emergency, HHS used a, a specific emergency declaration to basically say, we're saying all pharmacists can actually vaccinate kids down to age three, even if their state won't let them. And we they have liability protection and it's okay. And that was by design to allow many more places to provide vaccine. But not all pharmacies do that. And uh, a bigger issue is that they mostly don't go below age three. Yeah. And at the same time, pediatricians just haven't gotten the vaccine. Uh, I actually have heard of very few pediatrician practices that have it. Um, I think it presents some real challenges to them and as it did throughout the emergency, but even more now, they, you know, how much should they order? Where should it come from? They may only have a couple of clients who who want it. And so they it's just a much more challenging process for especially smaller practices. So your your pediatrician might not have it, and then your pharmacy won't do it. And parents that want to get their young kids vaccinated are kind of caught in this real this this hole. And it's not clear yet what is going to be put in place, if anything, to fill that gap. This is a self-interested question, but I'm just curious, why didn't this happen before kids went back to school? Uh, that would have been a good thing, I think, except <laughs> <laughs> except that the process, which you know uh, does follow a pretty strict process of FDA review, it was always targeted to take place by hopefully by mid-September. And I think it's just whether it was a bandwidth issue because it's so much data to review or whatever, that's when it happened. And I don't know what the decision making was or if anyone actually said, hey, let's try to do this in August so that it could be ready. But it didn't happen. And so here we are. Fortunately, we're not where we were in December 2020 and, and January 2021, where there's just so many deaths and no no hope, really. We're at a much different place. And for the most part, a lot more people are able, if they get COVID, are able to recover. Um, but it is, no one wants to get this. And and we have tools to either to reduce the likelihood, but also more importantly, reduce the impact if you do get infected. In terms of distribution, 
are there enough vaccines in circulation to meet overall demand? You know, how are people figuring out that part of the equation? So the manufacturers, and right now there's two, there's Pfizer and Moderna that have the updated vaccines. They have each said, we have enough, which is good. But these vaccines have to be ordered and then delivered. And there seems to be a little bit of a challenge there. And it is a balancing issue. It's not clear to me that those ordering the vaccines, pharmacy chains, for example, have figured out what the right number is and if it's coming fast enough. If we do remember, you know, think back, this did occur at almost every phase of the initial rollout of a different part of the COVID vaccine, you know, uh, trajectory. The difference there was the federal government was sending them out and, and over time got much better at it. But now it's really back, you know, it's the private sector that's ordering these. You know, as, as I as I mentioned earlier, when I went to my pharmacy today, just just to check, you canceled my appointment. Do you have any just maybe back there? In, and the, the pharmacist said, yeah, we're we're just not getting enough in. It wasn't clear to me if they're not ordering enough or they're not allowed to order enough or or what the issue is. But there is something going on on the supply side. And I don't believe it's that there's not enough vaccine somewhere. It's that there's like a some kind of bottleneck somewhere. Hmm. Well, that brings me to this question of when the initial vaccines rolled out, it was bumpy. The you know, there were supply constraints. I remember, you know, sitting on a website for hours trying to make an appointment for my parents, one in their 70s, one in their 80s. But then that that process did smooth out. So is this a hiccup that we're seeing or or is it a sign of something more fundamental with the shift to a, a commercial market? I think it's more of a hiccup. It's a big hiccup, right? But I think it's more of a hiccup because this is once this gets smoothed out, which it will, my prediction, and hopefully I won't be back here in a year saying eating a hat or something, but is that next time there's an up, you know, the next year when there's a new formulation that comes out, like there is every year for flu, this process will be smooth, as smooth as we can expect. That by that point, all the systems and the recognition of the insurance rules and all of that will be in place for insured individuals. That's my prediction. Um so this is a hiccup and a big one for some people, but it should not continue beyond this period. If it keeps happening every year, it would be a sign of some bigger failure. But I guess I wonder what the effects of the hiccup might be when when we're already talking, you know, listening to your polling about people being pretty easily dissuaded from getting this. If it's hard, what does that do? Yeah, that is a real concern because if it, first of all, the group that's trying to get vaccinated now, I put myself in that group, have reasons, mostly have reasons for doing it. The eager uh, subset that want to do this and are willing to call around, look at onvaccines.gov every day, you know, try to drive places, whatever. And if we're getting deterred, what does that mean? Well, I'm going to continue to try. And I think most of people in that group will, but I do know people who walked away when they were being asked to pay out of pocket. And, you know, that what we're talking about pay out of pocket, we're talking about 200 bucks. Not everyone's going to want to shell that out. And then I think the bigger concern I have is not necessarily that group of people who will continue to try, although some might just opt out. It's others who are hearing these stories who are sort of like, yeah, I think I'm going to go get that vaccine. It's free, right? Oh, wait. You know, or I think I'm going to get that vaccine. I'm sure I can just get it at the corner with my flu shot, oh, they, I'm hearing reports that it's nowhere. Those individuals who are kind of on the fence or maybe somewhat interested, I could see some of them just turning around saying it's not worth it. 
That raises a very interesting question about sort of responsibility. I mean, even even for someone who does what I do, like, right, I'm asking you these questions about the complications in the system. Is there a chance that we risk discouraging people? I hope we don't discourage people. I do think that any anyone who's discouraged, it's an unfortunate from a public health or personal health perspective. Um, I'm hopeful that these challenges will get smoothed out. And for most people, as they go about the course of their, you know, healthcare decisions will incorporate COVID-19 vaccine vaccination into their thinking. But, you know, we, we've just lived through such a difficult and divisive time uh, that any, people will pick things apart as much as they can. And so hopefully this these snafus won't result in more either discouragement or or picking apart of COVID vaccines themselves and, and, and why they're even being offered. So, you know, there are some risks there, but these vaccines are so important for public and, and personal health that it is we have to get out to the public. As someone who spends a lot of time thinking about our healthcare system, I, I wonder if there are lessons that you have drawn from what you've seen in COVID vaccination over the past few years, how it has worked, how it has not worked, and and what we as a society can do to improve public health, to make vaccination campaigns more successful, to, to look at this and say, okay, we learned some lessons. But what are those lessons? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and there are there are those lessons. I think one is the way that the federal government chose to respond to COVID on the vaccine side was really um, uh, unprecedented and, and really important. Very quick, um, supporting the funding upfront of trials um, and then helping to, to accelerate that process and then choosing to buy vaccines before there was even an authorization and, and ensuring that there was a market. We don't That doesn't usually happen in healthcare. And then going forward saying, okay, we're, we've bought all the vaccines for everyone and we're providing them universal coverage, which we don't have in the United States for anything. It was, you know, we are providing these, this is an emergency. Everyone's can get these for free. It doesn't matter if you are a citizen or not, if you have insurance or not, if you don't have any money, where you work, anything. And that's a real lesson that when you do that, it can have a a far reaching impact. It's true that there were still equity challenges and barriers for some groups to getting vaccination, but coverage was available, meaning they were free. So I think the lesson there is, you know, if we want to move in that direction as a society, there are ways to do that. Um, So that's one. Two, though, is even with all of that in place, uh, as you said earlier, the beginning rollouts were really challenging. Why is that? Well, we have a federal system where we have the federal government and we have the states and the states generally make a lot of the most of the public health decisions. So even though the federal government was saying, here's your free vaccine, we're sending it to you. Here's who we recommend should get it first. States were free to make their own decisions about who should get the vaccine, how accessible it was, how easy it was to make your appointment. And what that showed us is that in from the public health perspective, having states make and localities make all the decisions might not always work the best for the consumer. And then I think another lesson is equity. Um, th- the good news is there was a lot of focus on equity in the rollout uh, over the last three years. The challenge was there were still disparities because the challenges that some communities face are very, very deep-seated and systemic. And even providing free vaccines did not overcome all of those hurdles. Do you think anyone else has learned those lessons? 
I don't know. <laughs> we'll see what, you know, I think one one question that are some of the changes that were made because of COVID, will they become permanent? So one example, we talked about pharmacists being able to vaccinate down to age three. That seems to be a change that a lot of people, parents I, uh, like, and it only is available for like another year under the the declaration that the federal government has. So a question is, is there something that some trend to make that more permanent? Will states move in that direction and allow pharmacists to play that role? And that would be an example, I think, of learning that lesson that when you want to get uh, public health measures out to the public, you really have to provide them in as many places as possible that are accessible and meet people where they are. Jen Cates, thank you so much for your time and for talking with me. Anytime. It's good to be here. Jen Cates is a vice president at KFF. And that is it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell and Anna Phillips. Our show is edited by Mia Armstrong-Lopez. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. And we're also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you are a fan of the show, the best way to support us is to join Slate Plus. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. All right, we'll be back tomorrow with a special bonus episode ahead of Sam Bankman-Fried's fraud trial, which starts next week. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.